blood. It's in our DNA. Insurrection, we are always rebelling against God, always usurping his throne. We are Barabbas. Mankind fits firmly within this character. And this is the thing. We're in a cell that we belong in, but we get to walk out of it. Why? Because we had good behavior and the probation board thought that we really earned it? No, it was a gift. Grace came, the door unlocked, we walk out. It's amazing to me. This is a picture of the gospel in Luke. And who steps into the cell? It's not good enough that we get to walk out of a cell that we firmly belong in. It's that someone else took up that empty space in there, and it was a king who did nothing wrong. And he absorbs the punishment. That punishment is still coming, just not on you. It's coming on your king. I would have liked to have been there. We don't have any evidence to how all of that worked out after this. So I'm not teaching this. I'm supposing this, all right? Wouldn't it have been cool if they'd have walked down the same hall? Jesus on the way to the cell as Barabbas leaves the cell and their eyes meet. What would that have done to Barabbas? Could that have changed his heart? He's feeling the gospel very vividly. What would that have looked like? The picture on his face. You know, the gospel has no power in your life if you find yourself as any other person other than Barabbas in this story. If you read this story and you don't see Barabbas in you or you don't see the mob in you, there's a problem. If you're one of the innocent onlookers who really means well or one of the heroes that performs and obeys all the rules, then the gospel's not for you because the gospel is only for the dirty. It's only for the murderers. It's only for the insurrectionists. It's for those who are flawed, cracked, jagged. This is why it's good news. It's you and me. We're the ones that yelled away with him, away with him and away with his message, sitting, rotting in a cell that we firmly believe that we shouldn't be in, but we are there. It's good news. If the gospel to you is just, meh, it's all right. You're in danger. Grave danger. It's important for you to know that. It's important for me to say that to you. You know, let's do this because I'm about to get into some hard application, but I'd love to pray just for a second, okay? Pray for you because, friends, listen, we have to see this. Let the gospel break your heart and then let it amaze you. Father, I thank you for your gospel and the fact that I was Barabbas, reeking in a sewer of a jail that I belonged in. Father, for I have murder in my hands. My sins put you on the cross. I have rebellion in my heart. I'm always looking to be number one. But Father, you do something beautiful. You don't just let us out. You take our place. It's a picture of what you've done on the cross. And we thank you for the gospel. And I pray that even now, before we even go one second further, that you show us in our hearts, that you convince us. I know people in here are not convinced. I went years without being convinced. I always saw myself with a white hat on in this passage. Not true. Not true. Help our hearts see what you have really done for us, God. But we love you. Amen. You know, missionaries... As a church of missionaries, we need to know this truth or we become very awkward. We become awkward people, weird, not believable, distant, 
Because a gospel not self-applied is a gospel awkwardly extended to others. If you don't apply the gospel well to your own life, it's going to seem goofy and out of left field when you try to extend it to others. Some of you know what I mean. Barabbas, I don't know if he became a Christian or not. Right? I know when the demoniac from Gadarene was healed, he'd become one heck of a missionary. I wonder what Barabbas would have looked like as a missionary. I'll bet he was not awkward because he'd tasted of this. In this passage that we've read so far, as peculiar as it is, I do see some good application that will help us both accept God's grace and extend it to the city as missionaries. The first thing I see is that missionaries become all things to win some. We become all things to win some. This is what Paul is doing by going and taking part of this Nazarite vow. He's looking like the Jews. And a good missionary understands when and where to put the skin of culture on, how to do that in order to live very closely to the people that we are sent to reach. Now, we don't abandon the essentials. We don't abandon the gospel as we do this, but we do create space and we adapt to the non-essentials. That's where good mission stays good mission and bad mission gets really weird. In this text, Paul's looking at a Nazarite ceremony, circumcisions, feasts, traditions. To him, these are non-essentials. It's just cultural accessories, cultural appendages, but they're not necessary for salvation. So he's able to put on the skin and be a good missionary. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians 9. We'll put it up on the screen. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. That's what we're seeing in this passage. To those under the law, and that means Jew. He's just reinforcing his first statement. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, that's Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, and he's talking about the weak in conscience here, people that were scared to eat or felt fearful or felt like it'd be a sin to eat or drink or do certain things. To the weak, I became weak, which means he laid down his freedoms, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some, and I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Listen, true, this is easier said than done, is it not? No one wants to put down their freedoms. No one wants to put down their personal felt needs and their demands in order to serve and live life on life with anyone. I don't want to do it. Just to be honest. I mean, my time's my time. My way of doing things is my way of doing things, and I just like it that way. I don't want to put any of that down. It's tough. And this is where missionaries fail. This is where a church of missionaries can fail. We fail in not serving and not loving the walking dead around us enough to enter their equation and to have good, meaningful conversations, meaningful conversations, to share significant moments, to say significant things. We won't do it. Failure occurs a lot of times when we hold on and white-knuckle the non-essentials, and we won't let it go. It's, it's about the food I want, the traditions, the culture, my time, my personal needs, my demands, my felt needs. I have to have them. I won't put them down to have any moment with you. I will not live life on life with you because it will cost me what belongs to me. What Paul is saying here is I hold loosely to my personal demands that I might win some. I put down my selfish felt needs so that I might win some. 
which provokes an interesting question for us, doesn't it? It's very helpful. Am I entering the space of someone else, becoming like them in the non-essentials long enough to live life with them and bring the gospel to them? You know, before I preached this sermon, David Holler, he asked me, what, are, what, what, what ministered to you in today's sermon as you were prepping for it? This is it. I used, to, I used to be a lot faster and agile in this, and I could feel myself drifting a bit. This was helpful, this, this passage, this text, and reminding me what a good missionary looks like in the real world. Practically, who do you know that is far from Jesus? I'm not saying write a list, but you should write a list. Number it. How many people that are far from Jesus? Do you know their friends? How do you know their friends? Did they introduce you? Jeff Anderstelt says that's the best way you know you've become a friend of the lost is when they've introduced you to their friends. Has that happened for you yet? What about their hopes and their dreams? Their story? Their last name for crying out loud? Their parents? Why they're here? Do you know? Have you had meaningful conversations with them? How can you intentionally bring the gospel to that person in a boring moment? And just a normal rhythm. In other words, how can you drive that relationship down the field? How can you get it from one place to the next? Have you introduced them to your friends? Have you brought them into your life? Have you brought them into your house? Do you have a plan? That sounds weird, doesn't it? It doesn't sound very organic to form a plan, but do you have a plan? When I was in campus ministry, it was always a big practice that we would write down the names of the person that we're in contact with and where they're at and what the next step is and the step after that. Why? Because mission just, sometimes it happens accidentally, but friends, can I just be honest? It happens intentionally. We have to intentionally push the thing. That's how it works. Is it happening accidentally for you? Number two, I think grace can be hard to accept and hard to extend. And this is the call of a missionary is to extend something that is kind of hard to accept. And that's in grace. Grace. You see, Paul's opponents in this passage, they believe that you can only keep commands if the threat of punishment was hovering over your head. In other words, there's this cloud and it is punishment and it followed you. And if you were scared of that punishment, fearful of it, then you would obey and I've even heard people talk about this today, even in this city. I've had people come up to me in the time that we've been here in Knoxville and say, Luke, but you can't just get rid of punishment because if people aren't afraid of punishment, then they won't do what the Lord wants. They'll do what they want. They'll do whatever they want. There, there's no righteousness in that. If you want a righteous Christian, they have to know that God can pop them anytime that they come off the tracks. But you know, the gospel totally disagrees with that. The gospel totally disagrees with that. We experience grace. We're motivated by God's grace. And that is what pushes us to obey God's commands. It's grace that helps us not do what we want, but to do what he wants. And that's what we see in the Bible. Don't turn there. Luke 14. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Not if you fear me, you will obey my commandments. Not if you're freaked out and scared that I'm going to paddle you anytime, you will obey my commandments. But if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Second Corinthians, for the love of Christ controls us, not for the fear of Christ controls us, 
Not for the horror of Christ controls us, the love. The gospel disagrees. But we are like the mob, and we are fueled by punishment. It's very true. It's true for me. I know it's true for you, too. I better do this the way the Bible tells me, or a cosmic paddle will come down and wear my tail out until I give in to it, and then he'll bless me. I think we have to be careful because we believe this so much, it's going to be easy to extend it to a people and not even know we're doing it. Because as a missionary, most of the people that you talk to, they will want to earn God's grace. You could preach grace to them that it's a gift. They will want to earn it. It's in all of our nature to earn something like that, right? Example, there's a guy that used to float in and out of here before he moved. But I remember leading him to the cross. I was there when he became a Christian. I got to see the whole transformation. Super exciting, super cool guy. And I remember the week after he became a Christian, he's like, Luke, tell me what to do. I know I need to sign up on a bunch of lists. And I know there's a lot of things I need to do right now. And listen, (laughs) I'm a church planner, so I'm all about signing up on lists, right? Because we need help. So I'm like, well, there's probably like nine or ten lists we could stick you on right now. It'd be a big help to us. What I told him is, is nothing. You can do nothing. I just want you to be. Just come and enjoy Jesus. Now, does that mean that he shouldn't serve and others shouldn't serve? No, we should all serve. He didn't need to serve right then in that moment. It would reinforce the thing that he was struggling with, which is, I feel guilty and God might punish me if I don't get on some sort of a volunteer list. So just enjoy Jesus, man. There's nothing you can do. It's not up to you. You're not going to help him out. You're not a partner in this thing called salvation. He rescued you right before you stepped out into traffic. He grabbed you. So practically, how do you see grace? Look at your behavior, why you behave. Do you do it out of punishment or maybe the promise of blessing in your mind? Why do you behave? It matters. That's a different sermon, but it matters. And are you able to extend this thing called grace to others? Because it's certainly hard to accept. Are you able to extend it to others? Or does your gospel sound a little bit like, get saved so God won't punish you and you might get blessed? Because if that's your gospel, it's no gospel at all. In fact, it's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. Be careful as a missionary. The third and final point I found in this text that was helpful is that the mob is not going to approve you. (laughs) It's not going to pat you on the back. You will get no gold stars for your work as a missionary. In fact, you, friend, will become the origin of all things evil in society. Look at the news, the fight about anything from gun control to abortion to same-sex marriage. You're starting to see and hear the same clarion call. The problem is with the Christians. It all comes down to the Christians. They're totally evil, and they're the ones that are monkeying everything up. They're the ones that are a problem. And that's why you're starting to see this rhythmic cleansing from the schools, from society. You will be misunderstood. You will be misrepresented. And when it comes down to things going wrong, you will be the problem. That's how it works. And what they will say is the same thing they said to Jesus, the same thing they said to Paul, and that is away with you. Away with you. You need to expect this. Don't be shocked when you're on the receiving end of that. The mob looks different to us today. It might just be a couple people at the water cooler. It might be a professor. It might be a boss. It might be a neighbor. It's still the mob. And they won't approve of you. You can't be fueled by that. Don't even expect it. You have approval given you by Christ. Feast on that. 
You have to feast on that instead. Because the message that you bring is way too provocative to be accepted by everybody. Way too provocative. Don't hate the mob. Pray for the mob. You were sent to reach the mob. The gospel is good news to the mob of Barabbases out there. We should know. We were there once. We also know this because this is what Jesus did for us. He served us by being very, very different from us. Bringing a provocative message to a people. I mean, listen, he was light coming into darkness. And we didn't even see him. We couldn't even see him. And we didn't just beat him. We snatched his life from him. This, this was a gift to us, the gospel. I mean, hear, hear it this way. Maybe this will be a different way of understanding it. We were meant to be perfect. We were meant to be flawless and without failure. No hairline cracks, no grime, no scandal, no weirdness. We were meant to be perfect. But ever since our first family, it has all gone radically wrong. And coursing through our veins is murder and insurrection. And by the time Jesus finds us rotting away in a cell that we are supposed to be in, he does the unimaginable. And he is a good missionary. He left the place to enter a people very different by putting on the skin, looking like, not expecting the mob to like what he was going to do. He came and he reached us, literally gave us new life. This is a gift to us. I'll tell you what, go ahead and stand with me. We're going to finish this out now. Because I'm going to talk to a couple different groups of people before we leave. And there is a group in here. When I say this, don't feel like I'm attacking you, okay? I actually find myself in your group. There are bad missionaries in here. Some of you are bad missionaries, right? Not putting on the skin of the culture. To be a people in order to win some. Not doing that. You're just going through the motions every day. Seeing the same faces walk by not saying anything, nothing meaningful about your interactions with them at all. They look a little different from you, so you just let them pass right on by. Surely someone else will take care of that. I've got a job to do. I've got a family. I've got my own rhythms. I'm not going to enter their equation. I'm not going to do what they do. You would be a bad, a bad missionary. But can I just give you some good news? Jesus loves bad missionaries. Jesus is not seeing you and saying, I'm disappointed in you because you're not a good missionary. He loves you just as much as on the day that you're an evangelist and 50,000 come to know the Lord. God's grace, the beauty of God's grace is, is he doesn't love you any less on your bad days as he loves you when you were doing well on your good days. It's the same extended love. That's what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor, gifted to you, totally despite you. That's what you need to know. But I will say this. As a bad missionary, we're missing the Great Commission by a mile. And a city is dying right now. Right now. A city is dying. Right now. People are dying. Marriages are blowing up. People are taking their own lives. Right now. People are becoming addicts. People are looking for love in all the wrong places. Right now. Maybe some of us, we fear the mob much more than we relate to the mob. Just remember, remember, you were Barabbas in that sewer stink of a jail. And Jesus came. You didn't even, I mean, just gifted this to you, just gave it to you. 
And then I think some of us are bad recipients, not just bad missionaries, but bad recipients. We're not able to receive God's love without performing for it. And all of our behavior stems from the fear that God is going to drop the boot on us at any minute and just destroy us or take something from us or make us sick or make things break all around us. That's how we are. We're so karma. We're more Buddhist than Christians sometimes. The car breaks and we're like, gosh, it's because I didn't have my quiet time. Or that, and so we behave and we do things like read our Bible and we do things like come to church so that we couldn't have money. Maybe if we don't have it added so that we don't lose it. You're a bad recipient. You're a bad recipient. And I am too. Does the threat of punishment follow you? And force you to behave a certain way. Listen, there are not enough volunteer lists in the world for you to sign up on to earn what has been given to you. Not even close. We are free to just enjoy Jesus. You want to behave better? Enjoy Jesus. You want to be a better missionary? Enjoy Jesus. It all stems from that. It all does. And many of you need this. We need to repent today is what I'm saying. We need to repent. For being bad missionaries, sure. We need to repent for being bad recipients as well. God is so good to us, though. He's so quick to wrap his arms around us as we pray those prayers. So let me pray with you, and then we're going to shift into um, the rest of our service, which will be explained to you here in just a second, but I would like to pray. Father, I thank you for your greatness to us, your goodness. It is not a stretch for me to see murder and insurrection in me on top of a big list of things. It doesn't even stop there. I'm, I'm much more fouled up, I know, than even what this passage says. I have hate. I can get addicted. I can be impure. I can be scandalous. I can have grime. I could be a failure any day, any moment. And the cell that I was rotting away in, the cell that we were rotting away in is your church. We deserve to be there. Our name is right above it. It was rightfully our abode. And you let us out. And you did more than that. You took our place. Because justice had to be met. Someone had to pay the price. A crime was committed. Someone had to pay. And you did that. You just gave it to us, God. There's nothing we can do to earn that. There's no work release program where we finally work off enough hours. God, you're so good to us, and your gospel is so amazing. Lord, that as we are missionaries, we're not awkward because we just don't care about that. We're not missionaries that are distant from your truth, but missionaries that abide in your truth. And Lord, that we would receive your grace. That's probably my biggest prayer for this church ever. My dying wish, God, is that this would be a church that would understand, receive, and walk in the grace that you give. And that just changes everything. It changes our marriages, our mouth, our checkbook, our mission, our community. It changes everything. So, Lord, help us in that today as we worship you. I know you're provoking our hearts to respond. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.